Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. and welcome to Bring It On, a multi-award winning, uh, 12 years in the running, Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Cornelius Wright. And at today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African-American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, on August 3rd, 1990, the President of the United States, George H.W. Bush, declared the month of November as National American Indian Heritage Month, thereafter commonly referred to as Native American Heritage Month. From listening to rock music to simply identifying as a Hoosier, students most likely have been influenced by Native American heritage, whether they know it or not. It just it just goes to show that Native American heritage can be found in places that you'd never expect, said Nikki Bell, our director of IU's First Nations Educational and Cultural Center. Throughout November, IU will be celebrating Native American Heritage Month with the help of the FNECC. The month is centered on heritage and not history, but the two are usually interconnected, Bell said. Joining us this evening to expound more on Native American Heritage Month is Nikki Bell, Director of IU's First Nations Educational and Culture Center, Cultural Center, and Heather Williams, Program Assistant at the Center, as well as on the radio, Siobhan Marks, who will be the keynote speaker at the opening uh, at the opening kickoff event, and she'll be speaking on the identity theft and reclaiming our grandmother's dress. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, the first thing I must admit, I just read that President Bush did this in 1990. And unfortunately, this is the first I've heard about it. So explain to our listening audience a little more about Native American Heritage Month. Uh, We've known when it was established and what's been happening since 1990. Geez, where should we start? I think that uh, November is a time for us to really go hard with our programming. So we have different events and programs throughout the entire school year, but November is really when we get to bring in speakers that we want to hear from and um, put on craft workshops that us ourselves would like to do and um, shine, shine on campus and kind of um, make our presence more aware. Uh, A piece that I'll add is the fall, I'll say, the season is often depicted in relatedness to to Native people, to Native culture, particularly Native history. When Thanksgiving is taught in schools, people learn about pilgrims and Indians. When you go into the craft or hobby stores, you see the little depictions of Native people, Native history, Native things as they had happened in the past. And a important piece of what we're doing, as Heather mentioned, we're really trying to really do a lot more with our programming is to show native 
culture, contemporary Native identity in a contemporary sense. Uh, as, as it said in that initial quote, it isn't just celebrating history. Yes, a lot of what people are doing nowadays is informed by history, and people have learned from the past and passed down tradition for centuries. But what we're doing, the kind of work that we do at the center, is about celebrating contemporary Native identity. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that you that really that I really thought about was I know the history that is taught about African Americans in the history books from in school is quite different from the history that we would write ourselves. And you mentioned how it's taught in school in November, especially. What difference, from your perspective, would you change in the history books about this time of month? I know that's a loaded <laughs> question, but I, I'm very serious about that. Um, I think the terminology or the vocabulary used in textbooks is the number one, or not, num- a, a very specific thing that I would change. So um, history textbooks are white-centric, so you think it comes from the white perspective. So then they say that the Indians were, uh, they, they moved on to a new territory to live instead of they were forcibly removed and made to leave their home territories and um, moved to a place that they had never known. So, And even forc- out of, because they were nice to the new European visitors who were coming in, they decided to move to make room for them. And yeah. that, that's in a textbook. There's a picture going around of that in a textbook right now. Mm. in schools. Mm. And so kids think, oh, so the pilgrims and the Indians were friends, when in fact, no, they weren't. (laughs) So what's the role of the First Nations Educational and Culture Center at IU then in in, uh, uh, debunking some of that, resituating, I guess, is maybe a better word, resituating? I think it's, uh, it's about connecting all bringing in our speakers, bringing in our films, having a contemporary native uh, culture on di- not on display is the wrong word, but involved with what we do. You know, everyone, all the different centers at the university have their specific programming. All the departments do, and our programming is about contemporary native people doing contemporary native things, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, just like the movie Rumble, learning about rock music. People don't always think, oh, you know, this is a Native person doing a Native thing. But sometimes, you know, just playing guitar is doing a Native thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's being informed by your history, being informed by your heritage. And, and it's not just wearing the feathers. It's not the stereotypical things that a lot of students learn about. So as long as we bring that to the forefront, we feel that that's the important way to present it. Well, listen, Heather and Nikki, we have um, a very special guest on the line waiting for us to talk to you and to talk to our listeners. And she's somebody, uh, Siobhan Marks, the the keynote speaker for Native American Heritage Month, who's on the line. And she also she deals with this politics of dress and the sort of contemporariness, the livingness of Native American communities and culture and identity. So, um, Miss Marks, are you on the line? Can you hear us? Uh, bonjour. I am on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We have um, your good friends Heather and Nikki on in the studio with us today. Hey, Siobhan. Hey, bonjour. I've been listening. Great. Great. Well, we are so excited to have you on um, campus. First, just a quick logistical question. Are Have you ever been to Indiana University? I have not been to the university. 
very excited to be there. Well, good. You're in for a treat because uh, uh, I know firsthand that the uh, the First Nations Educational Culture Center is quite beautiful, homey, very intimate, and um, my, my colleagues, my friends, they will treat you really well. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about um, your talk, um, Identity Theft and Reclaiming Our Grandmother's Dress. Okay, well, if, if it's permissible, I'd like to introduce myself in the language. So, uh, hello, I just gave you my Anishinaabe name, which is Igwe Nodenan, so it means a little warm breeze in spring, and that's part of our teaching uh, whenever we talk. We, we try to begin with the language as much as we can. So, what I will be talking about is uh, what is most often noted as an Ojibwe strap dress, and through 10 years of pretty intense study, and having made and worn this dress for seven years, what we've, uh, we being my, my uncle, Neil Oldendike, who's um, 65 years a master beater, and by that I mean just beautiful uh, beadwork and regalia. He's been studying it since he was 10. He was my very first teacher on this dress. And uh, what I've learned is that that dress was not worn just by Ojibwe women. This dress was worn by woodland women, so it is all of our tribal women from the east coast to the foothills of the Rockies. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ms. Marks, were you going to say something? Uh, uh, no, I just thought perhaps I should stop talking. Oh, <laughs> no, we, no, were, we, were, we were fascinated. We, we were, <laughs> we're all here in the studio with our mouths open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, what I found so, I so remarkable about that is it's estimated pre-contact that the indigenous population was as large as 36 million. And so if you cut that number in half and say um, our woodland people, which are east of the Mississippi, that 36 is down to 18. And if you think about 18 million and cut that in half male, female, you've got 9 million women wearing a version of this dress. And all that exists in museums are a handful of examples. There are, uh, we've searched everywhere. I understand there's one dress somewhere in France that's in a museum that's many of our most beautiful and early uh, regalia items, and, and not just regalia, but all kinds of things, ended up uh, over in Europe. But only six dresses that can be documented in a museum that are even there for, for to study or to uh to see how they remain, the materials, and what they look like. So that I, I found just astonishing uh, that this this beautiful dress that so many of our women wore, there's almost no trace of it. That is indeed. You know, we have this month coming up, and you're going to be the keynote speaker, as we've mentioned, but we've got a lot of calendar items for the month. And, and Nikki, would you like to give us a little overview about what's going to be going on and let our listening audience know where and how they can attend some of these events? Sure. Um, and and when we talk about this, we sort of group it into categories. Um, if we had to pick a top three, if you can only make it to three, mm-hmm. the, uh, the events we would really like to highlight are uh, our kickoff event happening on the 1st, we have a reception starting at 4.30, and Siobhan's talk is going to begin at 5.30 in the Georgian Room of the Indiana Memorial Union, and all of these events are free and open to everyone. 
Uh, following that, on Thursday, Siobhan is going to be giving a lunchtime talk, which will serve as a more intimate discussion, uh, continuing with the theme of, of her talk from the previous night. Uh, but it's a lunchtime talk where people can sit around and really talk more and learn from each other about, about this topic. And then following that, on Thursday evening at IU First Thursdays, sponsored by the Arts and Humanities Council, we are going to have Siobhan set up with her dress display at the FNECC tent uh, to have an opportunity for everyone to come and look more closely uh, at the dress examples that she's bringing. And also a, a group of performers, uh, one of our favorite groups, Ho-Chunk Station, led by Rick Cleveland, who... Uh, they're from uh, Linden Station, Wisconsin. They're going to be visiting us to perform on the stage for First Thursdays. And we've gotten two time slots uh, for this month. We said, hey, it's, it's Heritage Month. We better get two time slots here. So um, we've got Siobhan uh, showing her dresses. We've got Ho-Chunk Station performing, singing and dancing, powwow style. So we're really excited about that. Um, an another thing we're really excited about is the 11th annual film series, which I'll let Heather talk more about. Yeah, so um, when I started thinking about Native American Heritage Month, the first thing that popped in my mind was film series, right? I get, I get to sit and watch trailers for a good long time <laughs> and decide what movies I want to bring to IU. And so this one, this one trailer stuck out to me because it came across my Facebook feed from another woman who's a very prolific um, filmmaker Tracy Rector she's a west coast native film uh producer and she put this this trailer up rumble the indians who rock the world and i thought okay this sounds cool so then i watched it and thought of course like this this is a story that has to be told this is something that most people who have it, who don't know will know after they they watch this movie so um we got it we we worked with the union board and secured the film and mind you this film is traveling extensively across the world right now and everyone involved is super busy so um the fact that we got it here on campus is pretty amazing um, and along with that, the same uh, company that produced Rumble, which is Resolution Pictures, Pictures, they also have this oldie but goodie called Real Engine, which is real spelled R-E-E-L. And it um, follows the trail of the Hollywood Indian and how, um, how Native people are portrayed in Hollywood from black and white films all the way to, to con contemporary films. And it discusses uh, the problems with that and uh, hopefully changes the, the audience's mind or at least gives them a critical thinking exercise when they go to watch a Hollywood film. You know, um, I know this is basically uh, catered towards the college, uh, some of the students and adults, but have you reached out to some of the MCCSC, the school district? Um, I, I think this, these movies would be fascinating for our younger students, for them to growing up have a another depiction of history. Um, have you reached out at all? No, no, we haven't reached out to MCCSC. Um, yeah, we kind of just focus on campus and community, but not necessarily uh, school systems directly. So yeah, we could, we could uh, look into that. Yeah, a lot of our events we look to advertise around town uh, in, in public spaces, the library and whatnot. But mm -hmm. we have not yet done direct. Uh, yeah, North and South would be a great start for one. Yeah. It sure would, yeah. Is the film series free? Yes, it is open and free to the public. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we'll have a, a panel discussion before Real Engine as well. Um, yeah, so there, there'll be a group of us up there on stage talking 
about uh, the movie and the film. Mm-hmm. And Do- and oh, I'm sorry. We'll we'll add in uh, to plug that time and date again. So the Re- Rumble, Indian, the Indians who rock the world, is being shown uh, Tuesday, November 14th at 6 p.m. in the Wittenberger Auditorium at the IMU. And Real Engine on the Trail of the Hollywood Indian is being shown at 7 p.m. the following day, Wednesday, November 15th also in the Wittenberger Auditorium. So we are on the cusp of Halloween. (laughs) And as we're talking about the real versus the appropriated or the the fake, (laughs) the fake news, um, and this idea of reclamation, reclaiming um, the ancestors' rights to things that define um, culture, both the paradigms, moving forward in the future and in the present, but also in the past, too. Is is Miss Marks still on the line? I'm here. Yes. I've just been not listening. I, I've seen both movies a couple of times, actually. Uh, have you? Oh, good. Very fortunate to have it here in Milwaukee, and certainly Real Engine um, as well, and we approached it the same way with the panel, so I really applaud your, your efforts to do that. Good. So what are some things for our listeners who... Um, want to understand a little bit more like this idea that traditionally we think of Native Americans as sort of a capital P people <laughs> in the past but what certainly people are alive and they're living and they're creating and they're um, oh, and, absolutely. so can you talk t- talk to that a little bit Ms. And Marks? I, and I want to add a little something to that question with Halloween coming up yeah. as Roberta mentioned a lot of people are going to be dressing up yeah. for Halloween your thoughts and ideas on the depiction of how Native Americans are depicted on Halloween also? Well, I, I think I feel the same way about about Halloween as I do race-based mascots on the logo. Um, you know, it's it's wrong, it's, it's cool, and it's insensitive uh, to put on a costume, especially when you're doing so uh, for a people that represents a people. Uh, I'm I'm completely um, astonished. I, I love antiques, so when I go antiquing and I see those those older uh, headdresses and costumes still, even in antique stores, or the advertising uh, that you know would uh, negatively, especially um, present Native people, is really offensive. Uh, you know, as far as the costumes go, I what I hear from a lot of moms because I am a mom. I, I do remember that with my sons and other moms, and they say, oh, we, we mean no disrespect, or oh, we just thought it was cute. Uh, but there are plenty of studies to show otherwise what happens to Native kids, uh, the high rates of depression, uh, not identifying with who they are as a, as a Native child, um, failing in school. Uh, you know, all of those things are present uh, when they see what is around them, which are so apparel really is very political it's as political uh, we talk about it a lot in the african-american community sort of the criminalization of urban youth um, and some of youth culture based on 
um, the desire, the choices, or the, even sort of some of the historical legacy of dress and costume and, and how you dress feminine, you know, femininity or how you dress masculinity. And it sounds like in Native American communities, that's a real concern and issue as well. But then on the other side of it, like it, as you, it seems that you're about to talk about Miss Marks, is that there is a, there's a reclamation of, um, of bringing back, bringing back to one's individual self, but then also back to communities and culture, um, those things, those antiques, those, those headdresses, the, the dresses themselves, all of those different material pieces that um, celebrate and signify the culture. Well, right, because the way that we dress ourselves and our, our culture, our history, our ceremonies, those are all integral parts of our identity. And that's where that um, topic, where the title came up with identity theft, those things have been in many ways. Uh, taken away from us, and we've been in a constant state of reclaiming them uh, ever since uh, European contact was here. But the strap dress itself, what I find so wonderful about that is this is our opportunity to identify and our dress and our way that we know it to be true. And you'll, you'll see some examples of that when I give the talk, but our dress, which was almost all but lost to us, is popping up uh, in dominant culture. Uh, white, um, I guess we would call them reenactor events and things where women have, are making their version of our dress and wearing them. And here our own women don't recognize our dress in our tribal communities. So that's been a real struggle over the last seven years when I show up in a strap dress and other Native women ask me what I'm wearing and they don't recognize it. That's got to be really sad. Uh, one thing we've talked about is November and uh, Native American Heritage Month, but here at Indiana, all year round, 365 days a year, there's work being done. Uh, Nikki, would you kind of like to talk about and let our listeners know where you're located, what you do most of the year, and just about your program here at IU? Sure. Uh, we are located on 712 East 8th Street, which is uh, – just a, a block up from from Dunn Meadow, I guess you can think of it that way. We share backyards with uh, LGBTQ plus culture center and La Casa. Uh, throughout the year, we we have programming that's directed to support Native and Indigenous students on campus culturally, emotionally, professionally, academically. Uh, we work to support these Native students on campus. Uh, we work to connect them to various resources on campus. Uh, many students come here from small communities around the country, going from a school that has uh, 20 people in your graduating class to a school that has 8,000 people in your class. You know, it, it can be extremely overwhelming. So what we like to do at the center, we, we try to create programming, uh, try to create an environment that will serve as a, a hub through which these Native students can experience Indiana University, providing for them a sense of community, a, a framework where uh, participants are brought in, um, where a, a lot of people come together who share 
the same um, community values and, and morals. Can I say that? I don't know if that's going too far, but community values is what I really mean. Um, <laughs> uh, community values uh, to help support all of these students. We have uh, counselors and tutors like the other culture centers also have them for their uh their particular populations. Uh, and, and all of this programming goes to support these Native students culturally. Uh, as I said, coming from communities where they don't have this, to make sure that this feel is provided, to know that there are people coming from the home communities, they're hearing the songs, you know, they're smelling the smells, they're eating the food, they're doing the things, they're experiencing the things that they know from their grandmas and their aunties and their fathers. And it's helping support them because these students who are adjusted culturally to their new, uh, their new academic setting will perform much better at, uh, at their universities. Heather, about how many Native American students do we have on campus? Um, so, well, campus is providing different numbers for that. For uh, I guess I don't have to get into the, lo the logistics of it, but it's upwards of 300 that uh, identify Native, and that's um, because of the new mixed race category where you can now uh, specify what your mix is. So since that implementation this past year, our numbers uh, quadrupled um, as far as the list goes. Um, active students, we have uh, 10, about 10 to 15, about seven that are core active, and uh, you know, eight about that are uh, peripherally involved. You know, mm -hmm. one thing that I, I always seem to notice, and, and I'm on a lot of different committees, is we have in our minds what students are thinking about, what their issues, what their problems are. What are some of the things that you hear most from the students that concerns them the most? college, just the new environment, et cetera? Oh, man. That's, uh, that's definitely my area because I, I deal with every small question that there is. So I'm, I'm the front gate of the center. So when we first come in, you see me working at my desk, and I'm there for every little question that <clears throat> these, students, these students have. And that, that can range from financial aid all the way down to um, who who knows a good dog sitter for my dog while I'm away <laughs> this weekend? So um, that's that's where I that's where I come in. But then the biggest worries that I have are or that I see that I see with the students are them trying to make sure that they get all the classes that they need in time. And yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest one. And then making sure that the people that they surround themselves are healthy for them and help to further their, their journey here at IU. Mm -hmm. Something I would add to that, uh, another thing we, we try to, I'll say, protect our students. And uh, a lot of that is done through the educational outreach that we try to provide for the university and for the Bloomington community. Uh, going back to what I said initially, really pushing the point of Native people are here. Native culture is diverse, 567 different federally recognized tribes, and they all have something particular and special about all of them. And it's difficult, even when we're trying to teach this, to, to push this point forward, that we still have students who are coming in on a Friday saying, okay, my assignment is to interview a Native American person, and I need to do it by Monday. Can you get me in touch with somebody right away? Um, and 
that's the try to the sort of thing we're trying to help educate beyond mm-hmm. is that people who are here are not your subject of study. Yeah. <laughs> they do not have to give you their time. You do not have to interview them. Uh, and it's this, these students who are coming are are learning. They're being taught this by their teachers as well. So we have a lot of work to do when it's something that that goes, you know, it's beyond just that immediate contact, but this is something that's happening in the classroom. These are the microaggressions that exist across all universities. We want to take a moment and say thank you to uh, Ms. Siobhan Marks for joining us. We're going to go ahead and let her go off the line and continue our conversation, but we wanted to say thank you. Nikki or Heather, did you want to, any last parting words to Ms. Marks? I would like to say uh, thanks for calling in. Well, we're really looking forward to having you here on Wednesday and Thursday uh, to share with us your, your stories and your dresses and all the work that you've been doing. I'm really excited. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule up there in Wisconsin, Siobhan. I know you're busy. It's written all over your Facebook page. So um, <laughs> very good. thank you very much for, for taking the time. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you Wednesday. Yes. Thank you so much, Ms. Marks. Uh, Me and my dresses will be there. Excellent. (laughs) See you then. Bye-bye. We've probably got about five minutes left. So, Heather and Nikki, uh, is there anything that you would like to speak about, uh, talk about? There's there's an event, the ribbon skirts. Yes. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So there's a new family that came to town, and the husband and wife, uh, Agnes Woodward, is the mom of the matriarch of this family. Self taught herself how to make um, ribbon skirts because her daughter wanted her her children wanted to dance, and she said, well, I want to be the one that makes their regalia, so uh, I'm going to teach myself how to make these these ribbon skirts. And if you don't know what a ribbon skirt is, Google it real quick, and you'll see um, what one of these looks like and how beautiful they are. Um, but Agnes is going to teach a workshop on how to make your own ribbon skirt. Excellent. And that looks like it's going to take place on Saturday, November 11th. Uh, it says registrations now open. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and submit your registration to Heather, who's here at H E M W I L L I. That's H E M W I L L I at Indiana. And you can go ahead and sh- send your name and a confirmation that you can that you either have your own personal uh, sewing machine or that you'll need one. Space is limited. You'll need two yards of fabric, a few ribbon colors of your own choice, the machine if you have it, and experience with the sewing machine. Please don't bring the sewing machine with no experience. (laughs) (laughs) And all the other materials will be provided. So that's Saturday, November 11th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the First Nations Educational Culture Center. And again, Heather's email is H-E-M-W-I-L-L-I at indiana.edu. And we'll be providing lunch that day as well. Excellent. We've got a couple minutes left. The mic is open to Heather and Nikki. Anything you'd like our listening audience to say? Because I know you told us earlier if there was three events, you let us know that. What are three things you would like our listening audience to know about the center and your work? The center and our work. The top three. I think that the center is all about community. The FNECC is a place where we invite all people to come and be part of our community, uh, to learn from each other, and a place 
where people are encouraged to contribute to the community. Um, so, so this is shying away from the, I need to write a report on you really quick. But it's, hey, how can I be involved with what you've got going on? Uh, there are people who come with not much experience from various Native communities. There are people who come with an extreme amount. Uh, and what is successful at our center is when people come together in a positive way to contribute to that community, to contribute to the feeling that, that really helps each other and creates a welcoming space for new students who want to come visit, right. mm -hmm. um, for all of our speakers who, who come during this month or, or the rest of the year. I would say number one for me is that it's all about creating that community. Mm -hmm. I agree as well. And I think that um, in order for anyone to learn more about something, you have to ask questions. So, of course, we, we started this, this segment with uh, talking about how textbooks are wrong and how we all have these incorrect preconceived notions of what Native people are like. And we had a very blunt example of that when we had some high school students come through the center and we open it up for questioning after we give our spiel on what we do. And, and her question, and she was totally um, stone-faced about it. And she said, do Native Americans use modern technology? Mm. And um, in my head, I'm thinking, how? Oh, there's so many ways I could approach this answer, but... Um, I, I said, yes, of course they do. Native Americans are just like you, just like everybody in this room. We're, we're alive and breathing and thriving in today's world. So, mm -hmm. yes, honey, we all use modern technology. <laughs> and, yeah, go ahead. We've got about one more minute. Um, okay. We're waiting for number three. <laughs> <laughs> no, number three. Um, Oh, I guess to finish mine up, we welcome questions. I, mm. If you don't know, you don't know. So ask a question and find out. Um, and maybe number three is the second part of that community is connecting back out. If people are coming here to Bloomington, we also want to connect back to people's home communities. We want to know about where people are from. We want to be able to go take trips to learn more things. A couple weekends ago, we went to the second annual Big Ten Native Student Association Conference at Purdue and met with Native Student Associations from all over the Big Ten. And it was great to have this opportunity to see yeah. what other students are doing, what other people are doing in communities. So it's, it's about being connected to what's going on nowadays. Listen, we want to thank Nikki Bell, the director of IU First Nations Education and Cultural Center, and Heather Williams. She's the program assistant extraordinaire, all things, <laughs> at the center for joining us to expound more on Native American Heritage Month. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listener, listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. Explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision, online at limestonepostmagazine.com. Support for WFHB comes from Monroe Convention Center, offering meeting and event spaces for groups large and small with in-house catering, audiovisual services, and Wi-Fi in downtown Bloomington. Info at bloomingtonconvention.com. And I bring you back to Bring It On. You just heard Straight LCO by Bear Creek. And that selection was by our guest, Nikki Bell, director of IU's First Nations Education and Cultural Center, and Heather Williams, his program assistant. Yeah, this is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the F. WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Roberta Radovich. All right, Houston, Texas. Houston Texans return owners' intimates, comment, inmates' comments with a knee. Houston Texans return owners' inmates' comments with a knee. The Griot report that nearly every single member of the Houston Texans took a knee during the national anthem on Sunday before the game against the Seattle Seahawks at CenturyLink Field in Washington. Out of all the out of a team with over 50 members, only 10 people remain standing. The protest comes after Texans owner Bob McNair made derogatory comments in reference to the hashtag take a knee protest throughout the NFL. Quote, we, we can't have the inmates running the prison, McNair said during a closed door meeting, according to an ESPN representative. The others in the room were reportedly stunned by the phrase, though it was not until after the article was published that McNair issued an apology, saying that his comments had been simply a figure of speech, in quotes. In quotes, I never meant to offend anyone, and I was not referring to our players, the statement read. I never, I would never characterize our players or our league that way, and I apologize to anyone who was offended by it, end quote. The full team nearly walked away from practice on Friday, and while that was not a full walkout, 10 players did not attend, and the practice started a half an hour later than scheduled. Is this how you view us? All pro left tackle Dwayne Brown said after a practice, you're an inmate. You can't you can't get out of line. We can't let the we can't let you speak for yourself. We can't let you have your own beliefs. That's what it feels like. It's a bad situation. 
You know, he spoke from his heart in the first place, and I'm so tired of these weak apologies afterwards. You said what you said, stand by it. Mm-hmm. Jane Fonda, people are listening now because Weinstein's victims are famous and white. Gloria Steinem and Jane Fonda appeared on MSNBC to discuss the Weinstein allegations. Black Voices reports that activist Gloria Steinem and actress Jane Fonda appeared on MSNBC's All in, All in with Chris Hayes Wednesday night to discuss the mounting allegations of sexual harassment, assault, and rape against Harvey Weinstein. The duo appeared as spokespeople for the Women's Media Center, a nonprofit which Fonda and Steinem co-founded with poet Robert Morgan in 2005. Fonda pointed out that while the Weinstein accusations are a watershed moment for our culture when it comes to sexual harassment, it only happened because most of his accusers are famous white women, with the exception of Lupita Nyong'o. It feels like something has shifted, Fonda told Hayes. It's too bad that it probably because so many of the women that were assaulted by Harvey Weinstein are famous and white and everybody knows them. This has been going on quite a long time to black women and other women of color and it doesn't get out quite the same. Weinstein has been accused of sexual misconduct by over 60 women, including allegations of sexual harassment, assault, and rape. The Hollywood heavyweight has since been fired from his television and movie studio, The Weinstein Company, as in being investigated by police in London and New York. Steinem said that there is power in numbers, especially in instances of sexual violence. If you steal money, you probably get arrested and convicted because everybody, steal, everybody says stealing is wrong. But if you do something that is very sexist or racist, because there is still a critical mass of bias in this country, it takes more cumulative instances for it to be recognized, she said. So we have reached a tipping point, I think. New Najir ambush details show how Sergeant Le- David Johnson died. The commando's selfless act proves he was a hero. The late U.S. soldier at the center of a nasty dispute between his widow his congresswoman and the president was killed after he tried to save fallen soldiers during an ambush in West Africa earlier this month, according to a news report citing defense officials. Sergeant Johnson's returned to where the site in Niger, where Islamic State-linked militants ended up killing four U.S. commandos, including himself. The Daily Mail reported the selfless act exemplified Johnson, according to his widow, Maisha Johnson, who called him an awesome soldier. Although his fellow soldiers killed and injured in the ambush were evacuated following the attack on October 4, Johnson's body was not retrieved for about 48 hours, prompting questions about what happened in Niger. The U.S. soldiers had no, quote, no body armor and were driving unarmored 4x4s and wore T-shirts and baseball caps, end quote, said one Nigerian soldier traveling with the convoy. I was surprised, he said, that the Americans would go out into the zone with such a light convoy and no air cover, no drones to keep them to keep watch over them. After more than two weeks of not speaking publicly about the ambush, Trump phoned Johnson's widow with a disrespectful condolence call, said Florida Representative Frederico Wilson, who received death threats for her subsequent heated exchanges with the president. 
Trump would deny telling Johnson's widow that her husband knew what he had signed up for before the White House confirmed the president said it. The episode devolved into the latest instance of the president showing little to no respect for American black women. Not surprising. A Chicago elementary school is prepping its students to invest in stocks by the time they reach the fourth grade, Black Enterprise reported. According to the news outlet, John Rogers, CEO of Chicago-based Ariel Investments and former chair of Barack Obama's Advisory Council on Financial Capability, implemented a curriculum at Southside's Ariel Community Academy to introduce the importance of financial literacy at an early age. Students begin to learn about stocks when they are in kindergarten and a few, few years later are able to trade stocks with their classmates. Ariel Community Academy, which is predominantly black and serves students from inner city communities, is a K-8 school that was founded nearly two decades ago by Rogers. We wanted our students to be really comfortable with the stock market, Rogers told Black Enterprise. We wanted the students to grow up and be good investors, to prepare themselves for retirement, for college tuition, and for a first house. He also added that exposure to the financial industry at this age will allow them to explore career paths they might not have known existed. As part of the curriculum, in early stages, students learn about personal finances, and as they get older, they delve into its impact and influence in the world. Rogers told Black Enterprise that he hopes students will be inspired to become entrepreneurs, which will eventually lead to the establishment of more black-owned businesses. He also wants this program to be used as a blueprint for other investment companies to lead financial literacy initiatives at inner-city schools. Many of the individuals who have been through this school have furthered their career in law, medicine, and investment banking, the news outlet reported. That was a look at African-American headline news from around the world this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to bringiton at wfhb.org. For Bring It On, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm Cornelius Wright. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
Support for WFHB comes from Juanita's Restaurant, located at 620 West Kirkwood. Juanita's Restaurant is a family-owned and operated business that brings Mexican cuisine to Bloomington, Indiana. Catering service is also available. More at 812-339-2340 or online at Juanita's.com. You just heard Shown at Big Sky by Robbie Robertson. That track was also selected by Heather Williams and Nikki Bell of First Nations Educational uh, and Culture Center at Indiana University. It's now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Roberta Vradovich. And we're going to do a quick rundown of um, Indiana University's Native American Heritage Month events, starting with the kickoff event, which is November 1, which is on a Wednesday, this Wednesday. Um, the reception uh, it starts at 4.30, and the keynote address, Ms. Siobhan Marks, which you might have heard on the radio just a little while ago, will be talking about the topic identity theft and reclaiming of our mother's dress. Again, that will take place at 4.30 um, on November 1st in the IMU Georgian Room. And on Thursday, November 2nd, the FNECC lunchtime speaker will once again be Siobhan Marks, and that will be from 12.30 to 2 o'clock at the FNECC. Also Thursday, the IU First Thursday is the Ho-Chunk Station on stage. Uh, there'll be Siobhan Marks and her dress display. 
That will be from 5 to 7.30 at the Showalter Fountain. There will be an FNECC tent out there, um, but definitely look for uh, the Showalter Mount Fountain and uh, an alternative uh, weather uh, location. On Wednesday, November 8th, uh, First Nations in celebration of Na Native American Heritage Month, the First Nations Culture S Educational and Culture Center will have a Crafter Noon open house there at the First Nations House. Um, to learn more about the where the house is located, uh, go ahead and log on to um, uh, go.iu.edu backslash F-N-E-C-C. The house is located at 712 East 8th Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 47408. Again, that's 712 East 8th Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 47408. Okay, and Thursday, November 9th, we have the FNECC. The lunchtime speaker is Dr. Koo. Oh, gosh, this is a tough one here. This is going to be Kunu. Taywright Krupa, the executive director of Akiria Community Action Group, and that will be from 1230 to 2 p.m. at the FNECC. And then part of the film screening um, series that Heather was talking about a little bit earlier uh, will be taking place in the IMU Wittenberger. The first film up is on November 9th, a film screening and panel discussion from 3 o'clock to 6 p.m. The Renovent and then on November 14th, Rumble at 6 p.m. You don't want to miss those. We want to thank Nikki Bell, director of IU's First Nation Educational and Cultural Center, and Heather Williams, the program assistant at the center, for joining us to expound more on Native American Heritage Month. We also want to thank Siobhan Banks, who was our guest speaker on the telephone this evening. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our news editor is Michael Nowlin. Tonight's Borge engineer was Kirsten Payton. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium, with additional backgrounds tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Roberta Radovich. Please exercise caution and care while trick-or-treating tomorrow. Also be sure to tune in next Monday, November 6th at 6 p.m. for another exciting broadcast coming your way on Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.